Just as being overwhelmed and overloaded can be detrimental to our well-being, so too can being unmoored and understimulated. I'd love to hear if you've ever been stuck in a boring job, how did it impact your life and what did you do about it? Professor Sharon K. Parker is the Director of the Centre for Transformative Work Design and Karen Gately is a career coach and advisor. Sharon, what do we know about bore out? How big a problem is this? Hello, Stephanie. Yes, look, I guess, um, you know, estimates vary according to how you measure but probably there's around about 20% of people in their work that are bored, understimulated, not learning, not growing, mm. you know, repeating the same tasks over and over again. Um, so, you know, it's, it's affecting quite a number of people. How did it become such a problem? Um, look, I think it's always existed, to be honest. I, I think, um, you know, I, you talked earlier in your introduction, is is it because of COVID? I think it's not that COVID has really changed um, work and made it more boring. I think it's that people's expectations, perhaps, for work have changed. Mm. So, you know, people are wanting a bit more from work. They've sort of had that sort of wake-up call and realisation of, of life more broadly. So it's it's existed for a long time. I guess... Um, we we sort of um, I have a, a, a model of work design called smart work design, and the S is for stimulating work. So we we talk about the importance of work where you've got a bit of variety, you're doing different things, you're using different skills, where you are learning new things, uh, where you where there's a match between your qualifications and the work itself. So, for example, we know that about one third of graduates in Australia are overqualified for the work that they do. So that's probably going to generate some boredom. Mm. And, you know, it's important also that that stimulating work is work... Um, um, in which there's a sense of meaning or purpose or point. Uh, and we'll, we'll probably talk later about, you know, David Graver, Graver and, the, and the book that he's written um, called Bullshit Jobs. Sorry for the swearing, but that's the title of the book. You know, and he talks about various sorts of pointless work that people are sometimes uh, expected to do, which can also generate a real sense of boredom. Is this an area of concern in the research that you've been doing, Sharon? Yeah, I mean, honestly, right now we're dealing with a lot of burnout in, in organisations, but um, we certainly see um, we certainly see bore out occurring. And I guess what we see is that, you know, sometimes um, if we go right back to the Industrial Revolution, you know, the way that work was traditionally designed, you think of the classic assembly line was make the job as small as you possibly can so that you can quickly train someone to do it and then offer them a cheap wage. And, you know, so you had the classic person whose job was on an assembly line just to, to turn the nut on the wheel, you know. And unfortunately, that sort of mindset, that mentality, you know, that we sometimes refer to as tailorism still exists in, in many people's mind, in, in employers' minds. So sometimes there is this um, uh, tendency to design very narrow, repetitive jobs because employers believe that that's the best way to get efficiency. Um, and they're not really taking into account the costs of, of that sort of work. Is burnout and bore out two sides of the same coin? It sounds like th there are many elements that they have in common. 
Actually, it's a great question because I, I you know, I was, I was reflecting that um, you can actually be quite overloaded in your work, but also bored. So, you know, so they're not opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, you know, and I was, I was personally reflecting that some of the times I feel the most bored at work are when I'm overloaded. So, you know, I'm just back to back meetings and it doesn't allow time in my work to read or think or reflect. And, you know, in the end, I'm, I'm meant to be an academic. I meant that's what I'm meant to do. And so then it gets really, really boring. So so I don't think we can assume that that boredom is always just the opposite of burnout. I think they can um, they can go hand in hand. And I'm, I'm reminded of um, there's a then this was quite some years ago, there a French guy that was working in a um, perfumery. And he actually sued his organisation for bore out because, um, so not burnout, but bore out, mm -hmm. because he was going into work um, every day and for several years. And his job was really just to order some stationery and some supplies. And he sort of had it done by 10 o'clock and there was nothing else to do. And that was ultimately quite stressful for him. I mean, I think some of us think, oh, a bit of boredom would be great. But chronic boredom every day having nothing meaningful to do and yet you still have to go to work, um, you know, can actually be quite stressful. Mm. And he actually sued his organisation and was successful in doing so and was awarded 40,000 euros. So, you know, it can be a really serious issue and it can affect uh, people's mental health and wellbeing. I'm Stephanie Kabanyana Kanyandakwe, and this is Life Matters on ABCRN. I'm joined by Professor Sharon K. Parker. She's the director of the Centre for Transformative Work Design, and Karen Gately, who is a career coach and advisor. I'm enjoying your text on boredom at work. Damien in Coogee, Sydney, on Gadigal Country, writes It's within those moments of boredom at work that I find I come up with the creative ideas. It's my juice. So, Sharon, looking at, at that text and, and finding some juice in uh, boredom moments, is that something that organisations from your research are starting to harness or is that all on yeah. us as the individual workers? No, that's that's a excellent. And Damien makes a great point. And and I w I'm actually an advocate for a little bit of boredom in work, actually. Um, and I have a, a colleague, Professor Gillian Yeo, here. Uh, we've been working on on a paper called Slack Time, and it's really just about those small moments of time where you know you've got a bit of time to to, you know, be a bit bored or to think or to reflect. And th those moments are really important. Um, and actually, there's a lot of research to Damien's point that um, if you give people a little bit of time to think and reflect, there's this process called incubation. And that's often when we come out with our most creative ideas. Sometimes we're not even consciously thinking about that thing, um, but it sort of boils away underneath and, a, and, a, and, a, and you come up with an innovative idea. So those moments of boredom, you know, are, are fine. The issue is when the boredom is chronic and when it's really embedded into the fabric of the job, you know. So if you're a call centre worker, Worker, for example, and you're taking 800 calls a day, um, you know, and it's the same sort of calls, then, um, you know, it probably doesn't really matter so much what you do creatively to deal with that. It's going to be boring. So sometimes we have to, so you, to your question of, you know, whose responsibility is it? Sometimes it's the responsibility of the employer, of the, of the leader 
to change the work and make it more stimulating. We're getting some great texts. Boredom at work, says one. It's always existed. I was very bored at work in a job where I had loads of expertise in my area, but I was in an organisational unit that only recognised one particular discipline. So I completed a master's by research and it reinforced my confidence in what I did. Looking at this, Sharon, what can a bored workforce do for productivity, morale and culture? Yeah, so when people are bored, you know, some of the consequences I've already mentioned that it can be quite, you know, ironically, it can be quite stressful, right? Because you're expected to do do, do things and, and you can't or, or you're demotivated to do so. Of course, boredom means you're more likely to be absent from work and that's got a cost. You're more likely to quit and that's got a cost for organisations. Um, but I'd like to just talk a little bit about the cost also for for people and society, actually. We've, um, we've recently published some research on the link between stimulating work and cognitive functioning. So let me unpack what I mean by that. Um, what research shows is that, you know, in the end, human, variety is a spice of life, right? So humans are sort of wired up for some variety, some challenge. Mm-hmm. And when they don't have that, it actually can impair their brain functioning. So, um, so we summarised lots of research that's been done over you know many many decades showing that if people are sort of chronically exposed to boring work so low skill work that isn't using their skills their talents uh, where they're not stretching themselves and so on then actually um, they're more likely to experience um, a decline in their cognition over a, over a lifespan. Mm. Um, or to put it differently, um, I'm sure you've heard of the phrase use it or lose it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've got stimulating work, you are using your brain, right? And so if you're in a job for 30 years, 40 years where you're not using your brain, that takes its toll on your brain and you do lose it. So, um, so from that, and that's really important actually as we've got this ageing population. So we've got more and more old people, um, uh, mature people. And so these issues of maintaining cognitive health become even more important in our society. And our research and, and the research of others suggests that having stimulating work actually can play a protective role against cognitive decline. So I think that's really a significant uh, component to this question. The elephant in the room, or certainly what comes to mind for me, is uh, if you're bored at work, why don't you just get out? Why do people stay? And is it the responsibility of, of yourself or your employer to keep on keeping you entertained? At work, so yeah, to speak. why don't you just get out? I think that's such a great question, and I think there's multiple layers to that. I mean, sometimes for financial reasons, people are locked into their jobs, um, you know, so they they can't leave, they can't take the risk, especially right now, right, with um, cost of living crisis and so on. So you know, sometimes people really can't leave. I think sometimes people get a bit psychologically locked into their jobs as well, where and this perhaps applies, you know, to professionals sometimes who. Um, you know, they sort of get to a career plateau. They've been really successful. They're doing really well. And it can feel very scary um, to, to, you know, to quit that job and go and do something new. Um, you know, it can feel, especially when you're used to being competent and people 
see you as a really competent person. The thought of starting something different or new where you're not so competent, where you're going to have to learn, that can be, you know, that can be quite um, challenging for people. So we do see that, actually. I've taught many MBA students in, in my uh, career and, you know, they are often people who've reached a bit of a, a career plateau, but they've decided to take the leap um, and, and do something new, which, you know, takes quite a bit of courage, I think, sometimes. Mm-mm. Karen? As a career coach and advisor, what have you seen from your clients? Why do people get stuck in boring jobs? Well, look, I agree with a lot of the comments that have already been made that, you know, sometimes people feel trapped Mm. in the space that they're in. So, and that can be because obviously they're worried about, can I get another job? Mm. You know, what's going to happen if I actually take the risk and and move away from this? But a really common one in my experience is people get onto particular career paths or they get into a particular job because somebody told them it was a good idea. So they might have at school um, decided that, okay, I'm going to become an accountant, for example. Mm -hmm. They go into that role and it just doesn't do it for them. You know, and if they've particularly been um, qualified in that role and they get a bit of experience, they get used to the the income that comes with it, to actually change career direction can be quite a big decision. So I work with people all the time who, you know, would love to actually do something else when you ask them the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm. It's something very different to what they're doing today. So they just feel stuck and then, you know, they just get onto the, the hamster wheel of their, their work life and and stay there rather than making that courageous decision to shift. Does changing jobs solve this bore out for your clients? Not always. And I think that's the, the trick here is to understand that, yes, our employer can absolutely contribute to making our work life more stimulating, mm. but it's also about how we choose to turn up each day as well. So I think there's another simple reality that most jobs are going to have an element of work that's actually boring. So I think there is a balance between managing our own mindsets, choosing to be focused, in particularly when we're doing things that are you know, not quite our preference areas. Mm. Um, so we need to build some mental strength and some resilience around working in spaces that aren't ideal. But at the same time, if ultimately the job doesn't suit us, is not aligned to our preferences, then absolutely changing jobs can be the solution. Now, changing jobs doesn't need to mean changing employers Mm -hmm. as well. I think sometimes we can look up and out around the organisation that we're already a part of. Oh, secondments are a great thing. Absolutely. You know, and even just participating in projects or getting more experience, um, you know, trying a a role in another another department. So I've seen examples where people have been able to go hang out with the marketing department if they're currently sitting in the compliance department to get exposure to it, to see whether or not this is more aligned with what they want to do. So I think having those honest conversations and getting guidance and support from your employer around where's the right fit for me Mm. and are there steps I can take to actually transition into those places Mm. over time. I'm Stephanie Kabanyana Kanyandakre and this is Life Matters on ABCRN. I'm joined by Professor Sharon K. Parker. She's the Director of the Centre for Transformative Work Design and Karen Gately, who is a career coach and advisor. 
these texts on your boredom at work are quite delightful and, dare I say, maybe indicative of how you're feeling on a Monday morning. Kate writes, working for a large company is great for people who learn quickly and are bored quickly. Transferring to other departments is necessary to stimulate the brain and learn new skills. Eventually, you know the company workings from start to finish and are a valuable employee who is continually growing and enjoying the changes. And Ravel says... These days, risk management dictates the limited dynamics in many jobs. I'm a sessional lecturer who was handed a script and told in no uncertain terms deviating from that script would be a career-limiting move. I get bored on my work-from-office days, says one. I can't think properly and do my job tasks. When I work from home, it's exciting, busy, dynamic and productive. I think we've seen with the pandemic and a lot of people in various modes experiencing lockdowns and having to work um, either off-site or on different sites. This has been a challenge to come back to work when you're used to a different environment. Do you hear a lot of these sentiments in your work, Karen? Yeah, look, I think that one really depends on the individual. You know, I'd say a lot of extroverts, for example, found the lockdown and and remote working more challenging. Mm -hmm. So what I'm finding is there's a cohort of people who absolutely want to continue to work from home and for all of those reasons that you've just said. But there are other people who are saying, actually, you know what? I actually want to be around people. I want to have the the laugh. I want to have the incidental conversations that come up during my workday. And that's part of keeping me energised. So I think, you know, for most employers, my advice is that a a blended work model is what's most likely going to get people to to stay and want to join your organisation. I think if it's completely remote, it's not going to suit everybody. And if it's completely in the office, it's not going to suit everybody. Well, that does remind me there's a a great episode on introverts versus extroverts on uh, All in the Mind with Sana Kadar, which does explore some of these things and is a really great listen um, as well. Sharon, whose responsibility is it to provide stimulation at work? Is Is it down to employers or workers if you had to choose one? Oh, well, I would say both. But if you force me to choose one, I probably would choose um, the employers. uh, Because I think, um, you know, I think these examples that the the court people calling in um, and that Karen have shared about being proactive and, you know, trying to take more risks or move career, or we talk about job crafting, actually, which is sort of shaping your job um, without needing to leave it. Those are all great strategies, but the reality is sometimes work is just designed with very little opportunity for people to do those things. So I I think in the end it's a joint responsibility, but there is lots that employers can do. You know, if people have got um, work that's um, a bit um, unstimulating, you can look at things like job enrichment, which is to make the work more interesting by including additional tasks and activities in the work, or job rotation. We talked about secondments, you know, setting up secondment schemes, creating those sorts of career paths and and, um, project opportunities and, and so on. So there's plenty that employers can do and they often don't do it and it comes back to that mindset that I said before that there's this idea that we create these sort of narrow jobs and those are more efficient um, than these more broad jobs. And I think it also comes back to the comment about risk management too that one of your callers made. Um, 
Unfortunately, again, I think one way that organisations control risk is to design really narrow, repetitive um, jobs. Mm. So, look, I vote for the I, I vote for both, but I do think employers have got a really, really critical role. And I'm talking about leaders and managers and organisational, you know, CEOs and things. They've got a critical role to play here. Karen, do you agree? Well, I do in the it comes down to both, but if I can just offer the other side of the argument and lean towards personal accountability. Okay. You know, in, in my experience, you know, people are most likely to thrive at work when we've got two things. We've got great leadership, but we've also got personal accountability. So I think, you know, really taking charge of your own career, getting into the driver's seat. And as much as we've acknowledged that sometimes it's hard for people to change direction, mm-hmm. sometimes it's pushing it uphill to actually get our employer to change the design of our job. So, you know, I think as an individual, I would be choosing to put your hand up, ask for opportunity, get, you know, broader training, qualifications, dig deep to find courage to look beyond the current job that you're sitting in. Mm -hmm. If there is fundamentally nothing about your job that you find stimulating or not enough about your job that you find stimulating to sustain you, then likelihood is there's only going to be so much an employer can do to shift your reality. Mm -hmm. I think actually owning it is the most likely way in which you're going to be empowered to create the quality of work life that you really want. That's a beautiful thought to end on. My thanks to Professor Sharon K. Parker, the Director of the Centre for Transformative Work Design, and Karen Gately, Career Coach and Advisor. (laughs) Thanks so much, Stephanie. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.